waiting. It's hard to wait, isn't it? I mean, it's annoying. It's aggravating. It's bothersome. It's bewildering. It's irritating. It's frustrating. At times, it's just downright vexatious. But if you think about it, most of life is spent waiting. For the junior in high school, they're waiting on the college acceptance letter. For the cancer patient, they're waiting on the test results. For the teacher, waiting on the students to arrive. For the pregnant mother, waiting on the birth of a baby. And for the Christian, waiting on the will of God. I'm going to say this. Waiting might be one of the hardest parts of the Christian life. And it's hard because it takes patience. And patience is difficult because patience is not an art. Patience is a science. It is not something that comes naturally to us. It is something that we develop. I invite you to open your Bibles to James chapter 5. And I'm going to give you this simple review. Last week we were in verses 7 through 9 where we talked about how to respond rightly when wronged. And then we said this. We said we're going to go back to the same verses and add 10 and 11 to talk about how to become a more patient person. So we're back in James chapter 5, and we notice how James missions to be patient. Verse 7, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. So three times he says, be patient, be patient, be patient. And what is it that we're patient for? Well, three times he makes note. Look at verse 7 again. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Look at verse 8. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And then look at verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. For the child of God, waiting is not a passive exercise. It is not something done to you. It's not something that you sit and wait on. For the child of God, waiting is a proactive exercise. It is something you do. It is something you seek. Thus, waiting is not wasting time. Waiting is working time. And I've discovered this, that one of the things the Lord wants me to do when I wait on him is for me to get out of his way. I've discovered that as I wait on the Lord, one of the key things that I must work on is getting out of his way. Because I can get in his way. And he wants me to wait so I can get out of his way. Anybody in the room struggle with patience? Those who you who did not acknowledge that are liars. <laughs> We're going to talk about how to become a more patient person. Two lessons. The, the first lesson is learn from the steadfastness of the prophets. 
Learn from the steadfastness of the prophet. So he says, be patient until the Lord comes. Be patient until the Lord's at hand. Be patient because the Lord, the judge, stands. And then look at verse 10. He says, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Okay, so here's my question. Which prophet? Amos? Daniel? David? Elijah? Elisha, Ezekiel, Moses, Nahum, yes. And why should we take from the prophets? They all had one thing in common here. An example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. That's what they had in common. And that is why they suffered. They suffered not for doing wrong. They suffered not for disobeying. They suffered because they spoke in the name of the Lord and they were under intense, they were under intense persecution. Now, now where does James get this idea? It's a good question to ask every time you read any verse in James. When you read this, you should say, why is he going to the prophets? Answer is pretty simple. It's found in Matthew chapter 5. So let's go back to Matthew chapter 5. It seems like we go to Matthew's gospel every time we're in the book of James, and rightly so, because James lifted about 40% of his teaching right out of Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. He's going through these blesseds, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are the hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers, and then look what he says in 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Ready? 11. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is not original with James. When James says, look to the prophets, he's following his big brother, moreover his savior, and he's saying, if you want to know what it's like to be steadfast and patient in the midst of difficulty, look to the prophets. But James is not the only person who does this. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. The, the writer of Hebrews does us a huge favor the writer of Hebrews uses Hebrews chapter 11 to communicate this hall of fame, or should I say hall of faith, this hall of faith of saints that have gone on before us. And look at verse 32 in Hebrews 11. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by the resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in the deserts and mountains and the dens and the caves of the earth. 
But not everybody who suffers for the cause of the kingdom receives the reward in this life. Some receive the reward that is to come in the next life. Look at 39. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So James is saying this, in developing your passion, patience, and learning to wait, look to the prophets. Look to their steadfastness. Second lesson. Second lesson is rest in the Lord's compassion and mercy. Now, as you make your way back to James, James does something for us here, and he's going to do this a handful of times as he wraps up this incredible book of the New Testament. He says in verse 11, Behold, we considered those blessed who remained steadfast. So again, he's referring back to the prophets, and they were blessed because they remained steadfast. They were patients. They were patient. And then he says this, You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So he does us an enormous favor here. He says, if you want to know what it's like to be a patient person, look at the life of Job. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to go to the book of Job. We're going to go to Job chapter 1. It's in the Old Testament. It's uh, before the book of Psalms. And are we going to look at the book of Job? We're going to get a cliff note version of Job's life. We're going to get a cliff note version of who he is and what God did and what happened. Then it's an entire book of the Old Testament that's devoted to his life, 42 chapters. And when you open up and start reading Job, you, you learn five things about this man. First, you learn that he was a spiritual man. The scripture says he was blameless, that he was a man of integrity. He feared God. He refrained from evil. He even sacrificed burnt offerings for his children. He was a family man. He had seven sons and three daughters. He was a wealthy man. He had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and many servants. He was a healthy man. There was nothing about his health that was abnormal, and he was an humble man. But something happens. And in chapter 1, verse 6, there's a scene from heaven where angels present themselves before God. And one of the angels is the fallen angel from heaven, Satan. Now look at verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth. And from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job... That there is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. So Satan's going to make an argument. He's basically going to say, well, he doesn't really serve you for who you are. He serves you for what he can get from you. Verse 9. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and... All that he has on every side, you've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. 
But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now watch this. Four flattening blows, one right after the another, come on Job. Chapter 1, verse 15. And the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I've escaped to tell you this messenger came to Job to tell him. That's the first one. 16. While he was yet speaking, then came another messenger and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Here's the third one. While he was still speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And here's the fourth one, verse 18. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Cataclysmic. What does Job do? Look at verse 20. If you want a lessons in patience. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. There's a second counsel of Satan. Uh, there's a second counsel of the Lord where Satan approaches the Lord. In verse 4 of chapter 2, says, Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, all that man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, only spare his life. So Satan afflicts Job with sores from the bottom of his feet to the top of his head. God bless her. And that's when his wife speaks up. Verse 9, chapter 2, Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity, curse God, and die? But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? And all this Job did not sin with his lips. This is an extraordinary man who's facing immeasurable Difficulty, setback, challenge, and loss. And then his friends show up. From chapter 3 to chapter 37, and it has been said, if you've got friends like Job, who needs enemies? These guys bloviate in such ways that it's just disheartening to read. Then you get all the way to chapter 38 and God starts questioning Job and he brings him before his counsel and he just lays it on the line to Job and he says, hey Job, I, I hear you, I hear what you're saying, but, but I, I want to ask you a question. He said, uh, were you around when I was laying the foundation of the earth? Were you here then? Were you available when I towed the sea? That's where you shall stop and you should go no further. And we go to chapter 42. Look at 42. 
Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you and make it known to me. I had heard of you by hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. And then with God's recompense, with God's recompense, he sets those four friends straight. Look at verse 7. After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Now therefore take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. And my servant Job shall pray for you. Man, that says a lot about Job because Job's prayer during this time were dark and bleak. And some of the theology was just really ruinous and messed up. And yet, even in his darkest prayers, God listens and accepts them. And this is why. Because even though Job didn't know what was going on, he knew he could trust God. And God says, you go to Job and you let him pray for you. Look at verse 10. We're, we're wrapping up this cliff note version of Job. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then he came to him, he came to him, then came to him all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before and ate bread with him in his house. And they showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning, and he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He had also seven sons and three daughters, and he called the name of his first daughter, and it goes through, and look at verse 16. And after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his son's sons four generations, and Job died an old man and full of days. <laughs> that's what James is saying look at he's saying yeah look to the prophets the steadfastness and patience and perseverance but if you really want to know what I'm talking about you look at Job now watch this go all the way back to James chapter 5 watch this don't miss it don't miss it all the way back to James chapter 5 why does he point to Job this gripping, this awe-inspiring, this beguiling narrative of a man of faith. Look at the last half of verse 11. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and here it is. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Two words, circle them, compassionate and merciful, the word compassionate is so unique. The word compassionate here is so unique. 
that it's not used anywhere else in the New Testament. Only James uses it, and he combines two words. The first word he uses is great or much, and the second word he uses is intestines or bowels. Meaning, how great, how great is God's affection. We, we would call this the, the seat of our affection. We would call this our heart, meaning that God is very, 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 very compassionate. Meaning that God is full of tender compassion. It's, it's a visceral, deep-seated emotion that God has when he says, you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and how the Lord is merciful. When James uses these two words in this phrase, he's taking us to the very heart of God and he's saying, this is how you wait on the Lord. This is how you wait because he is very, very, very compassionate and he is extraordinarily merciful. That's why you wait on him. You ever seen this in Job? I remember the first half dozen times I read Job, I thought, come, Lord Jesus, come. I remember, I remember the first times I, was, I thought, and then a friend of mine preached the book of Job, and I said, you did what? And he said, well, you preached the minor prophets. And I said, yeah, but. You ever seen this in Job? Go to Job chapter 19. Go back to Job chapter 19. This is right in the middle of Job. This is right in the middle of those dark prayers, of those confusing conversations, of those misleading friends, of those beguiling words, of the struggle and the heartache and the hardship. In Job chapter 19 verse 25, Job says, For I know that my Redeemer lives. Capital R. And at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another. My heart faints within me. <laughs> Here it is. You want to know why the prophets are such a good example for us? You want to know why Job is such a great example for us? They knew who God was. They knew who God was. Do you know who God is? No, 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 I'm serious. Do you know who God is? Do you know that God is always available? Do you know that God is better than any of the false gods we could ever create? Do you know that God is very, very, very compassionate? Do you know that God is eternal? Do you know that God is forgiving? Do you know that God is good? Do you know that God is holy? Do you know that God is infinite? Do you know that God is just? Do you know that God is all present? Do you know that God 
is all knowing? Do you know that God is all loving? Do you know that God is merciful? Do you know that God is kind? Do you know that God is judge? Do you know that God is just? Do you know that God is wrathful? Do you know who God is? For if you know who God is, well, then you can wait on God. Do you know who God is? Do you want to know who God is? Then meet Jesus. And he'll show you who God is. Let's stand. Oh God. Oh God, you are our God. And in you is our hope and our trust and our faith. In you is our confidence and security. You're our refuge, our strength, our stronghold. And the Bible says that those who trust in you are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. And as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so you, Lord, surround those whom you love. The scripture also says the scepter of wickedness shall not fall on the land allotted to the righteous, lest they raise their hand to do evil. Do good, O God, to those who are good and upright in heart. But those who turn aside to their wickedness, may they be led away with the evildoers. Oh God, thank you for reminding us today who you are. So I close by asking, do you know who God is? Well, if you know Jesus, then you do. But if you don't know Jesus, then you don't. Jesus is the great I am. Before Abraham was, was Jesus. Jesus is God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. He is the second person of the Holy Trinity. He is God in the flesh. And for you to know who God is, you've got to know who Jesus is. And for you to know who Jesus is, you've got to surrender your life to him. You've just got to, you got to run to him. You've got to throw yourself at his feet. And you've got to plead with him and say, I'm an unworthy. I'm not good. I'm a sinner. I'm an enemy. I'm dead in my sins. I have failed you miserably. And I call on you to save me. And Jesus rescues you, redeems you, saves you, forgives you. And then begins this journey of revealing to you just how glorious he is. Call on him now. And if you need to make a public demonstration this morning, I'll be standing here. I'd love to talk to you. I have other staff members that can assist me. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' good name we pray.